Hello, everybody. John Montoya here. Hey, everybody. John Parings. All right. And we're your hosts for the fifth edition. And on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the myths and misconceptions regarding infinite banking. To start it off, we're going to lead off with the question we get asked the most, and that is, why haven't I heard this before? Yeah, that's definitely the, the number one thing that I think any uh, authorized infinite banking practitioner would say that that's the number one thing they hear the most. If, if this is so great, why haven't I heard of it before? Exactly. And the, the main reason why is because the place that we choose to store our capital happens to sit inside of a very specific type of whole life insurance policy. And being that it is a whole life policy, it goes against the mainstream of what every person hears uh, they should be doing with their money, which is 401ks, IRAs, uh, essentially Wall Street managed money. Yeah. And, you know, there's not only that, but there's also just the, there are a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation. So people have probably heard of it, but maybe they've heard about it the wrong way. You know, they've heard about you know, doing things like um, uh, variable life insurance, universal life insurance, all these different types of products, but don't really understand um, the difference between those products and whole life insurance, which could be a whole other podcast. Um, but uh, you're right. The main, the main thing is sort of the, the established what everybody thinks they know about financial planning advice. And it, whole life insurance is definitely not part of that mainstream advice. No, definitely not. It's an unmanaged asset. So advisors who are trained to, to recommend uh, uh, wall street portfolios, uh, they, they earn a revenue stream based off those managed assets. And here we have an unmanaged asset that's offered by the life insurance industry. So it's not the bread and butter of the traditional financial advisor out there. Uh, you know, Wall Street doesn't really focus on this. I do also wanna add that the life insurance industry doesn't focus on it either. Uh, because if you think about it, when people go to buy life insurance, they are buying life insurance as a commodity. How much death benefit can I get? And what's the least amount that I can pay for it, right? You can get right. that type of life insurance policy anywhere, right? Call State Farm, uh, you know, go on the internet, you can get a select quote and you can shop around and get the best deal you can possibly get. And the reason why is because you're shopping for a commodity, you're shopping for a life insurance policy and the life insurance death benefit that uh, is part of an infinite banking plan is, is an added bonus. It's not the primary reason why our clients come to us for an infinite banking whole life policy. Yeah, I mean, you know, all that is true. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that requires um, a little bit of a change in thought process to move away from the focus on trying to get a high rate of return and instead by having access to your cash all the way, you know, the whole time through the cash value of a whole life insurance policy, you can create multiple rates of return with the same money. 
with way less risk, by the way. And so it's a, it's a little bit of a paradigm shift in terms of what people are taught. I mean, and you know, most people don't even really know what they should be doing with their money. They, most people don't really have a plan. They talk to a financial advisor or they talk to their HR department. Um, their HR department hands them a retirement package that has, you know, a basket full of products, like a handful, you know, a half a dozen, maybe a dozen different types of mutual fund products, maybe not even listed that way. It might even just be, you know, are you high risk? Do you have a high risk tolerance, a medium risk tolerance or a low risk tolerance? And then here you go. This is what you're going to put your money into. So most people have no idea where their money's even going. Yeah. And they don't even realize that with a traditional financial plan, you're outsourcing your money to banks and Wall Street. You're giving up the ability, use and control of your money. And it's something we don't even think about because we're just ingrained to follow the conventional wisdom. And so people don't hear about this because it's, it's just not part of the mainstream financial advice that uh, banks and Wall Street uh, focus on. So uh, that, that's pretty much it. Wall Street doesn't focus on it and neither does the life insurance industry, which is why <laughs> it's so imperative that right. you speak to an IBC authorized practitioner. Yeah. And just one quick final thought is it didn't used to be that way. I mean, permanent life insurance used to be um, a mainstream, you know, bedrock financial asset for American families, along with, you know, just their regular cash savings and their pensions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 401ks didn't exist until I want to say the late seventies, early 1980s. Um, and you know, uh, the only people that invested in the market were the very wealthy because they could afford to have brokers, uh, buying and selling for them. Uh, you know, it was, it wasn't until mutual funds really were popularized and, um, discount brokerages that people started putting more money, uh, their savings, uh, at risk in the market. Uh, But you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the people that survived the great depression, uh, the, the people that, that didn't lose money when banks went under were the people that had been paying their premiums on their whole life policies year in year out. It was just a completely different mentality back in those days where people didn't trust banks. They knew they couldn't trust banks, uh, but they knew that they could trust their life insurance policies. That's right. And, you know, these life insurance companies have been around for, you know, over 150 years and the best ones out there, you know, over 170 years, they've been paying dividends every single year, including the Great Depression, including the dot-com bubble and including the Great Recession. It's, it's just amazing that, uh, that more people don't know about it because it's hiding in plain sight. We, the, the average person knows where to get life insurance, but they have no idea where to get an IBC uh, designed whole life policy. Right. And you know, that's, that's uh, the reason why we're doing this podcast though. It's to help <laughs> right. people that, uh, that want to know more uh, and provide a resource so that uh, when they learn more about just how good infinite banking uh, is and how they can benefit from it, you know, they, they have a place where they can turn to. So yeah, that's, that's the reason why we're doing this. 
Yeah. And then, so that, and that segues nicely into, you know, us being surprised more people don't know about it. Right. Why aren't more people doing this, which is our myths and misconceptions. Number two, which is another thing It kind of ties into number one. Why haven't we heard of it, but why aren't more people doing it? So the number one reason why people aren't doing this is frankly, because they haven't had the opportunity to sit down with an authorized IBC professional, someone who understands the in and outs about infinite banking and can walk them through the process because the process is really simple. And once people understand the high level overview of what infinite banking does, it's, it's actually a no brainer. In fact, I've, I've had people say, this is the biggest no brainer. It is. You just have to know that it exists and you have to have the resource. You have to have the authorized practitioner who can walk you through the steps uh, to show you what your own customized plan would look like. It's such a perfect way of saying it. So like the, the other way that I've, of people, what people say after they do kind of grasp the concept is they're like, Oh my God, why wouldn't I do this? It's like, yeah, why wouldn't you? Um, and I have a little bit of a different answer. I, so when people say, why aren't more people doing this? I say a lot of people are doing it. Um, I think we're just surprised that there aren't more, um, but there are a lot of people out there. I mean, there's, you know, there is so much life insurance sold every year. Now, not, a, not all of it is, you know, uh, by far, most of it is not infinite banking type, you know, inf- an infinite banking structured um, life insurance policy, but, you know, you know who owns the most uh, whole life insurance, cash value whole life insurance are the banks themselves, um, which is called bank owned life insurance. And so a lot of people do know about this, but it's usually, you know, the, the majority are the banks and the executives, the executives get their, you know, uh, executive compensation plans. A lot of that is life insurance and annuities. And a lot of people realize that. Um, so, there, you know, while the regular Joe doesn't know about it, the people that do know about it, usually, you know, the wealthy, the executives, and, and obviously the banks, they have a whole lot of it as much as they can get. In fact, usually, this is where wealthy people do choose to park a portion of their assets, and it begs the question: Why? What? What? What is it that they know that the average person on Main Street does not know? Right. And one of the, one of the problems is, is that there's this pervasive uh, myth that whole life is too expensive. And that's our third myth about a whole life that right. we want to clear up. Yeah. And I would, anytime someone asks me that, I say, compared to what? because you know when you say it's too expensive we have to compare that to something too expensive compared to what and you know one of the things that i like to talk about is well if you have a checking account with ten thousand dollars in it and you take that ten thousand dollars and you move it into your savings account was that expensive (laughs) and you know most people are like well no and but and that's literally what you're doing with, with a life insurance policy, with a pr- the premium dollars you're putting in, it's like putting money into a savings account that has guaranteed growth and also pays dividends. And it has all these other benefits that go along with it, such as a permanent death benefit. Exactly. And 
when you know that you're going to account for every single dollar that you put into an infinite banking plan and you're going to have more dollars to show for it. Right. What, what does that death benefit actually end up costing you? You're going to exactly. have it for the rest of your life. And now you're going to have more money than what you put into it. You're guaranteed to cross that break even point. And with an infinite banking design, you're going to do it much faster than the traditional whole life design where maybe you wouldn't break even for 20 years. Right. Well, here, here with the way that we design it, you're, you're going to accumulate cash from the very first premium payment that you make to your policy. And it's guaranteed from that point on to increase by a larger amount each and every year. It just gets better and better. So you're exactly right. What, what does it end up costing you when you've got every dollar that you've put into it available to you right. and then you have this growing death benefit on top of it. Yes. Not to mention all the additional riders that you can get like a, a terminal illness rider, a chronic illness rider, a disability waiver of premium. So you have all these different things that protect you to ensure that this account completes no matter what happens in your life. And, and it's such a good way you just said it. It's like, uh, is there, is it expensive? If you put every dollar you put into it, you have that plus more. <laughs> There's, what's the cost to that? Yeah. Well, I mean, seriously, what, what is it costing you? You got more than what you put in. Not only that, we, we haven't even touched on the fact that this money's growing without you having to pay any taxes on it. And you oh, can yeah. access it anytime without having to pay taxes on it. And then it transfers to your, to your beneficiaries tax-free too. So you know, th this goes back to, wow, this is the biggest no-brainer in, in history, right? It's just like more people need to know about it. And that is an, a great segue into number four, where a lot of people will say whole life insurance is a terrible investment. And that, that's a, another, you know, objection that you can answer compared to what. And most people are comparing it to um, you know, when they say it's a terrible investment, there are a lot of the financial, uh, a term that someone told me recently were, were the financial entertainers. So the, the people out there that have the, the different shows and everything that talk about, you know, buy term insurance and invest the difference. And th those are the people that say whole life insurance is a terrible investment. And usually what they're doing is comparing some, you know, arbitrary average rate of return that you might be able to get in the stock market that they take from past performance, which by the way, look on any financial statement with your investments on it. And there'll be big letters on there that say past performance is not indicative of future results. They'll take an average rate of return and compare that to the guaranteed, the guarantees of a whole life insurance policy. And so it's usually just a ridiculous comparison to begin with. Yeah, it's, it's always an apples and oranges comparison. Right. Yeah, investments play an important role in building wealth. But for me, this, this yeah. is not an investment. This is a strategy. That is awesome. That's a, I mean, that, that's exactly it. Please yeah. continue. It's, it's a financial tool that we use to do a number of things right? If, if you have debt, we use it to wipe out that debt even faster. If you don't have any debt and you're looking to accumulate assets, we use it as a tool to multiply our assets. Th this is not an investment per se, where you're taking uh, 
a lump sum amount of money and putting it somewhere where it's just going to sit and hopefully grow in value over time. Right. Never mind losing money. Right. Cause all investments right. carry risk. This is not a, an investment by definition because it is a guaranteed contract. You're getting a contract from a full reserve life insurance company, a mutual based company too, owned by its policy holders, you and me, John. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. And we're getting a contractual guarantee that our money's going to grow every single year. So we can sleep at night knowing that our cash values are going to be larger a year from now than what they are today. And the year after that, and the year after that apples and oranges, man, it's such a good way. So it's like what you're saying is whole life insurance is not an investment. <laughs> no, and that's thank it. You, thank you. I, I don't want to compare it to an investment because yep. that's not what I, what I do for my clients. It's not what you do either. We're, yeah. we're, we're in the business of helping people take control of their money. And so here's something to say. So we, we just said it, whole life insurance is not an investment. That being said, um, we were talking before we started this podcast about a book I recently read by Brian Bloom called Confessions of a CPA. The subtitle is The Capital Equivalent Value of Life Insurance. And he does a really good job um, from a CPA's point of view of taking a look at when it's the apples and oranges story. You have to take a look at all the things that whole life insurance can do for you in the future. Usually people, when they compare it to an investment, they think they're thinking about what, what they're going to get in retirement. Well, you have to look at everything that you can get from whole life insurance, including the tax-free nature, including the fact that there are policy loans that can, that can increase the amount of tax-free income that you can get in retirement and including the, the death benefit, uh, the tax-free death benefit that occurs, those all have to be factored into. And so he does a, he does a good job of kind of mathematically comparing this non-investment to the, the, the uh, performance of actual investments. And, and I think people will be surprised what they actually find out when you take a look at the net gain of, of some of the investments that people use out there you know, after you pay the taxes, after you pay the fees, after you transfer the, you know, the wealth to the next generation, it's, it's really not too far off from an actual investment. Absolutely. Even though this is not an investment, <laughs> we'll say it again. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's not an investment. There is a growth component to it. Yes. What people discover is that because it is of a conservative nature, there are no losses. Each year, you're going to have a return. And because it's also growing without you having to pay any taxes on it, what happens is that the policy doesn't actually have to grow by 8 to 10% per year, let's say, because that's a popular uh, yeah. goal that people have. They want to grow their money 8 to 10% per year. Yep. But that's, that's because they're taking the risk to try to achieve those gains. And oh, by the way, they're also having to encounter the tax man. Um, if, if you're achieving any type of growth rate, you also have to take into consider taxes. And that's something that with the strategy, we, we don't have to worry about. So we don't have to achieve a higher rate of return each year and take on all the associated risk with a typical investment. This is a tax-free return each and every year. 
And just to wrap it up, imagine also the returns you could get by having access to the cash value the entire time where you could go out and buy other income generating assets with the cash value. It, it starts to, it starts to really make <laughs> typical eight to 10 stock market returns look silly. So let's, let's jump into our next one. Uh, yeah. The next one is you have to pay premiums for life. <laughs> this is a pretty easy one. <laughs> it, is. <laughs> it is. It is. Go ahead, John. <laughs> no, no, you, you just don't. <laughs> there are, uh, you know, the, right. the way that it's set up is, is um, you know, the, the premiums, you can pay almost as long as you want. I mean, depending on what you want out of the tax performance of a whole life insurance policy, you could pay one premium, right? Or you can set it up to pay as many premiums as you want. There's usually sort of a general guideline of around seven years uh, just to, you know, stay within some of the IRS limits that, that they've imposed on, on life insurance policies, which were the modified endowment contract limits. But you don't even have to do that. You can, you can set it up into, you know, three or five pays and then use the policy to pay the, the rest of the premiums. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to set this up that it, uh, it, it, it's just an easy answer. But there, there are even other ways that you could probably expound upon, like policy loans and all that stuff. Well, I, I would come back to the, where does this come from? Where, where does this idea that you have to pay premiums for life come from? Great question. I think where it comes from is the fact that when people buy a whole life policy, they're buying the traditional type of whole life policy. The type yeah. where, you know, they're, they're trying to maximize the most death benefit they can get right? And pay the least amount for it. So this is an all death benefit design policy. And it doesn't have much cash value growth on uh, the early years and, and probably for a very long time. And for that reason, it's structured in a way that it looks like at least on paper, when you get the illustration, you're going to have to pay premiums your entire life. And I, I've seen it also too, um, with final expense policies, where you know, there, there is a premium that you do have to pay every year for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And because a final expense policy is one particular type of whole life, well, that gets thrown in, uh, you know, with all types yep. of whole life right. altogether and people get confused and they think, oh, you know, I've, I've looked at a final expense policy or maybe you've looked at a, a traditional whole life policy from your financial advisor and you've seen it set up. Uh, where it has very little cash value and you got to pay the premiums all years. And you confuse that with an infinite banking designed whole life where, like you mentioned, it could be a five pay, a seven pay. Yeah, that's a great clarification. Um, you know, and it just gets to the the point that there are, <clears throat> there are a lot of different insurance products and a lot of misunderstandings uh, about where infinite banking falls into that kind of, broad spectrum of different life insurance products out there. And so you really just, you really have to talk to somebody that knows what they're, knows what they're talking about. They're not getting it confused. And, um, you know, one, if and you'll find out that there is tons of flexibility in an infinite, in a, uh, a policy that's designed, um, the way that an infinite banking practitioner would design it. Yeah, and we'll have to we'll have to do a episode specifically on using an IBC policy for income 
show how we go about doing that and, and discuss that in further detail because that, that's a great topic just by itself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's hit on the next one. Uh, whole life has no premium flexibility. Right. That uh, you, since you put this list together, I have to commend you on your, uh, on the, how you ordered it because they're all tying into the last one. That's good. So the, the flexibility is um, part, you know, it's part of like the idea that you have to pay premiums for life, but then it's also people feel like they're sometimes locked into paying um, a certain premium or a certain premium amount. And that's not always the case. The way I like to explain it, when we design an IBC whole life policy, you're going to have budget flexibility. First, first and foremost, we're going to tailor it based off of your, your capacity to fund a plan. Uh, within that budget, you're going to have a minimum and a maximum, whether that's on a monthly basis or annualized. Uh, to give you an example, if, if your budget is to fund an IBC plan with $1,000 a month, kind of treat it like maybe it's an alternative 401k option for you. Well, within that $1,000, there's going to be a base minimum. And then above that base, all the way to the, the maximum on a monthly basis, that's going to be filled in with paid up additions. And that's the flexible portion of the premium. And it's this one writer, this one very unique writer, the paid up additions writer, PUA for short, this is the writer that doesn't get mentioned anywhere. Right. The PUA writer, uh, which stands for paid up additional life insurance, is one of the most powerful writers that you can get on a whole life insurance contract that really allows you to increase the flexibility, just like you said, in terms of the minimum and the maximum of what you can pay on a monthly basis in, a, in an IBC style whole life insurance policy. And, you know, one thing that I, I like to point out to people is that, look, the reason why you don't hear about Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey talking about the paid up additions writer is because it would throw egg uh, on their face <laughs> on what they've been yeah. you know, advocating for years. Now, I don't know if they know about the PUA writer. Um, I'd like to think that they do, but you know, it, it th this one very specific writer, if you have it, it's a game changer. And right. it's something that uh, the financial entertainers won't ever talk about. Right. And we need to, we've said it a couple of times already, but we need to do a whole episode on, on paid up additions and what it does and how it increases the, the flexibility and performance of a whole life insurance contract. Absolutely. We, we will do that. Uh, let's hit the next one. Buy term and invest the difference. Yeah. We touched on it a, a little bit when we were talking about um, the investment being a terrible investment, quote unquote. Um, so buy term and invest the difference is a pretty common popularized phrase that I, I think a lot of people have heard of. And it's just the idea that since whole life insurance is such a quote unquote terrible investment, what you want to do is pay as little as possible for, for life insurance, for the life insurance death benefit, and then take the difference of what you would have paid for whole life insurance and invest that in something. And usually it's, you know, thrown out there that go invest it in exchange traded funds or mutual funds and get your eight to 10% average rate of return that we're, we're told we'll get. Um, but it's, uh, 
it really, just like we've been talking about before, it really misses a lot of key components of what we're, what we're actually able to do with permanent life insurance. You know, I'd even add that it goes back to the apples and oranges because Mm -hmm. that strategy buy term and invest the difference. You have to realize that it doesn't provide you with, uh, with full control over your money. You're, you're, you're basically taking the difference. And most people, by the way, don't take the difference and invest (laughs) it. That's right. That's right. But if you are one one. of those rare (laughs) people who, who are disciplined and do invest the difference, you're, you're either locking it up by putting the money into a qualified account like a 401k or IRA, you won't see it for decades. You know, you're, you're basically tying up your money and having to go to a bank when you need access to cash uh, for large expenditures. And so it, it comes back to, you know, why, why does it ever make sense to lock up our money and then have to go to a bank when we need a source of capital, when we could accomplish everything right within an IBC whole life policy. We can have a permanent death benefit that will always be there. We can have access to capital on our own terms. We can, we can eliminate taxes on the growth. Um, we can also set up a tax-free retirement doing this. Um, th- there's just so many benefits to IBC that is all utilizing the same dollar. We don't have to take multiple dollars to accomplish the same thing that uh, buy term and invest a difference. It, it just doesn't compare long-term or even short-term. It really doesn't. And, you know, for the rich dad, poor dad fans out there, you know, he talks about, you know, buying assets instead of liabilities. And so do you, you know, the question is, do you want to buy an asset or do you want to buy a liability? Term insurance is a liability. It's just a cost that, by the way, if you extrapolate that out over the course of your life and then the, the value of what that all those premium payments could have grown to if they were transferred to your beneficiaries when you when you pass away, what's the lost opportunity cost on all those premium payments that you paid with term? Whereas with whole life insurance, you're buying an asset that you'll get all the, you can get all the money back if you want, if you just want to cash it out or you have an asset that's growing and can be passed on to the next generation. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the biggest myths about term is that it's the cheapest life insurance policy you can get. Right. But in truth, it's actually the most expensive. The best day to own a term policy is the first day. Right. And then it gets worse from that point on. Right. Because you keep putting premium into it and it just becomes this dark hole, this pit that, <laughs> you know, you, you'll, you'll never, you'll never recover that cost. People will outlive their term policy right. and have nothing to show for it. Just like you said, it's a liability. And if you are going to be a wealth builder, if you are going to accumulate assets, you really have to understand the difference between liabilities and assets. Wealthy people don't buy liabilities. They buy assets. And I've never met an older person whose term insurance just expired and was, and felt good about it. You know, that's a young person thing where they're like, well, I won't need it. Meanwhile, the people who just had their term insurance expire where they were paying 80 bucks a month and now they have to pay uh, 2000 or $4,000 a month if they wanted to keep it alive. They're not happy that, that that term insurance just expired. 
Not at all. We Not should say all. that term insurance isn't, isn't bad necessarily. I sell a lot of term insurance. It has its place, but it's, it, it should be part of an overall picture um, to create not only protection for your what's called human life value, um, but it also should have some convertibility and be able to roll into permanent life insurance. There's certainly a place for term insurance. Absolutely. And if you're doing it right, I really think you're going to have a blend of both. Right. And that, that's something uh, that I call future planning. That's where we, we have a whole life policy uh, IBC designed whole life policy for cash accumulation to have control over a, a tax-free asset. And then we also have a need, especially if we're married with kids, to um, make sure that we have enough protection for them. And so that's where the term blend will come in handy. And it does, a, it does provide a secondary benefit on top of the additional death benefit protection, and that's uh, the conversion option which allows our clients to, when they're ready, convert that additional term policy into their second, third, maybe even their fourth IBC policy, depending on how much death benefit that term policy has. That's definitely great. So something that I just uh, was dealing with recently was um, someone thought they were too old to get permanent life insurance. That's a common one. Uh, and you know, what's funny is that I'll get people who, who uh, call me up and, and they'll say, yeah, you know, I, I wish I would have got this started, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And, and, you know, it's hard for me sometimes to figure out uh, how old a person is over the phone. And right. I, I get thrown pretty easily. Uh, it seems more and more these days, I hear that. And, and then I'll end up asking, you know, how old they are. And they say, oh, I'm 42. And I'm like, right. oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> right. Uh, that's good. Um, I was 40, I think, when I got my, my first IBC policy. Yeah. And, and you know what's surprising is that the, the average age is probably late 40s. Um, mm -hmm. And people think, you know, it's, it's, it's too late. I'm, I'm too old. My oldest client to ever start an IBC policy was 77. That is In so fact, great. Yeah, I, I say was, um, he was 77. He's 83 now. <laughs> I thought that was going to take a dark turn for a second. Uh, but no, no, that's awesome. No. Well, well, here's the yeah. thing. You know, you, you do want to take advantage of locking in your insurability as early as possible because our health, obviously is never guaranteed. Right. But the reason why uh, this gentleman um, was able to get life insurance at age 77 is because he was in great health. So it's no surprise right. six years later, he's still alive. Yes. Right? The insurance companies are, are underwriting that risk and they want to know uh, as much as they possibly can about his medical profile to make sure that they have enough time to take those premium dollars that he's sending in and have enough time to invest it and ultimately turn a profit. Um, and life insurance companies turning a profit, you know, that, that's a really, really positive thing, especially with IBC, because don't forget the only life insurance companies we work with 
our mutual based companies. Those are mm-hmm. their policies where you and I are part owners of that life insurance company. So right. uh, having healthy, profitable life insurance companies, that's a win-win because it ensures that these companies that we're working with, uh, some that have been around as, as long as 170 years, uh, continue to be around and continue to pay out dividends on a yearly basis. And it's uh, so I think what you're saying is you can, you can be older than you think, but at the same time, uh, you also mentioned it's important to, you know, the, the younger you are when you start, the more powerful this can become. And um, like, you know, if you just look at a, like a children's policy that uh, their a parent could buy for them, you know, other than the fact that you can't fund as much as maybe you'd like, you might like to, the growth of, you know, what that policy grows to by the time they're an adult, much less by the time, you know, they reach mortality age, it's really unbelievable. Um, and it's, and it's has that cash value that they can use, you know, their entire life. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the reason why people will be concerned about their age is because they're, they're also thinking with that mentality of how they would traditionally buy a a life insurance policy, right? The older you yeah, get, yeah. the more expensive it's going to be. Yeah. But keep in mind, this is not for the maximum death benefit. Mm-hmm. In fact, what we're shooting for is an infinite banking design that's based on the exact opposite. It, it's a minimum death benefit design based off of how much money, uh, how much savings you plan to put into this policy each month or year for a set number of years. And based off of your age, your budget, and the health rating you ultimately get from the life insurance company, that's going to determine the least amount of death benefit needed in order to make this, this strategy work best for you. So, you know, don't, don't be concerned about your age and the cost of insurance. We're going to customize this plan so that it's as efficient as possible and can grow as quickly as possible. Great. Well said. Well said. Speaking of death benefit, number nine on our list is the uh, a common myth or misconception or objection is I don't need a death benefit. You know, usually when people say that, they think of themselves. You know, by the time they get to retirement, they're uh, you know they've accumulated all these other assets and and their kids are out of college and they think, well, I don't I don't need a death benefit at that point. What do you say to that? I say, well. That's okay. That That's not the primary objective. It's a nice cherry on top. But I, I will add that, you know, you're, if you're married and you have a spouse, they'll certainly never object to receiving, you know, a, a nice healthy check from the life insurance company. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting way to put it. And, you know, I, I've certainly met people that don't feel like they, they want to leave anything behind. And, you know, just like you said, it, even if that's you, it doesn't really matter. This is a, this is a place to store cash or create capital. But if you are someone that cares about leaving something behind, um, the death benefit is enormously powerful in retirement where it allows you to spend more of the other assets that you've created during your working years in retirement. So you can actually enjoy them while you're still alive without having to worry about preserving them. Um, You know, a lot of people want to make sure they hang on to the house to give to the kids, you know, when they, when they pass away. Meanwhile, the kids may not even want the house, you know, and it's like, 
you have all the, you're kind of locked into this trajectory when you don't have a death benefit. When you do have a death benefit, you have all the kinds of different options. You can do a reverse mortgage on your house. You can just, you know, sell the house outright. You can spend down all of your other assets knowing that your family will get this guaranteed tax-free death benefit at the end. Absolutely. In fact, uh, one of the, one of my newer clients, uh, their entire reasoning behind starting a, a whole life policy was so that they could spend down their 401k and IRA assets and have the peace of mind knowing they have this instant legacy that's going to be left to their son, no matter what. And they could, they, they could just enjoy that money they've accumulated over their lifetime. Yeah. And you know, it's like, well, before the, some of the new tax regulations came out, you know, it, it was before you, people were planning on just continuously rolling over these IRAs and, you know, um, you know, just rolling it into another, you know, IRA after they die. So their kids have it and, and they can hopefully continue to grow it. But it's kind of like your hope, everyone's hoping for this high rate of return in their 401k and IRA, but what's the rate of return on a dollar that you never got to spend, you know? So it, it, it kind of is like a contradiction sometimes when people are only thinking about, um, you know, these qualified plans as their retirement assets. And so to your point, you get to spend all the, you can spend all that money now um, and you can get, you can experience what you hopefully got with a high rate of return by having the money to use for something that you enjoy doing. I'll say one more quick thing before we go on to number 10, having the life insurance cash value also allows you to get more out of that other retirement account because you don't have to cannibalize the account during down years in the market where you can actually go to your life insurance policy. It's the concept of the, you know, the buffer asset con concept where you can turn to your life insurance cash value, which is guaranteed to never go down, only go up during down years. And then that, that makes your other retirement assets last that much longer. I love it. Uh, again, another added value. It's a multi-use strategy. So the last one here is, this is a good one. Oh, I'm glad you saved this one for last. Why should I pay interest on my own money, my own cash value? Why should I pay interest on that, John Montoya? <laughs> well, there, there's, uh, I'm laughing because I've got Nelson's uh, voice <laughs> ringing in my ears. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, what I'm hearing him say is because we want to be honest bankers. Uh, but the, the, the first thing I, I want to say is it's because, there, there's opportunity cost, right? Um, most people have this idea that it's better to pay cash for things. Right. And real quick, before you get into this, I can, I can sense you're going to have this really awesome explanation, but we should probably explain what we, what people are mean when they say that. And I think just to quickly define what we're saying, that objection, why should I pay interest on my own money? What they're saying is, um, the way, the smart way to use the cash value in a life insurance policy it's, is to use policy loans, which are, it's a guaranteed loan provision that allows you to borrow money from the insurance company against the cash value of your life insurance policy. And that loan does have interest. Um, it's super powerful, which we can get into in another uh, episode, but I wanted to point that out just in case people didn't understand what, what people mean when they say pay interest on their own money. Yeah, the, the way that I teach it, I tell people there's three ways to access money from your IBC whole life policy. The sad way, 
the dumb way and the smart way just makes it easy for people to remember the, the it's sad good way because there's two bad ones and one good one yeah and and the the sad way you know obviously you know this is a life insurance policy so if you pass away at any point your beneficiaries are going to get that death benefit so that's the sad way we're hoping that doesn't happen for a very long time right the dumb way is to physically withdraw your money from the life insurance policy. When you do that, there could be a taxable event, um, but also you're, you're interrupting the growth of that money. It's exactly like if you deposit money into your bank account or even your 401k, and then you go physically withdraw that money from that account, it's no longer working for you. So there's an opportunity yeah. cost there. Yep. You're giving up the interest that you otherwise would have earned on that money. So that leads to the smart way, right? What's the smart way to take money from uh, a whole life policy? It's to take a policy loan. The, the cash values that we have accumulated that acts as a collateral for the loan. So we're, we're not physically withdrawing the money from our policy. It's still there. What we're doing is we're utilizing it as a collateral asset. And because the life insurance company is holding on to our money and growing it, they know that we're good for the loan. So that money is actually coming from the general fund of the life insurance company. And for that reason, they're going to assess us an interest rate to borrow that money. And th this is where people really get shook up because they don't understand um, you know how this all works with paying interest on a policy loan um, but it's actually to your benefit because you keep your money working and the interest that we pay on a policy loan remember a mutual based company right the profit gets divvied up between you and I the policyholders so anytime we take a loan that loan interest counts as revenue for the life insurance company it's going to hit their bottom line and that surplus profit ends up coming right back to us. So we're able to keep our money growing. We get to participate in the profits of the, of the insurance company. And we, we do this all tax free. Man, I get super fired up when I start talking about policy loans. So I have to, I have to keep it under control. We're, we'll, we'll have to do a whole thing <clears throat> on policy loans, but just imagine, I mean, so, you know, it's called the infinite banking concept. And one of the reasons is because we can now, by having this policy loan provision, along with guaranteed growth of our capital, we can start using money just like the banks do. We can use other people's money um, to go out there and either service debt or buy other income generating assets, which is the great way to do it, uh, or a great thing to do with that money. And um, so that's one of the ways that we become our own banker by using other people's money to go out there and do the things that we're going to do and, and the, our, the economic activity in our lifetime. Absolutely. And, and we will have to do a deeper dive because there's absolutely more I want to say. And, and, yeah. and I know you have more you want to say on, on this topic. So let, let's definitely hit on that in a future uh, podcast. Uh, in the weeks ahead, because that, that is definitely a good one. That's, that's really going to cover it for Myths and Conceptions, episode uh, two for the fifth edition. Uh, John, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, for everyone out there, 
Uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have questions, uh, reach out to us. Awesome. And if you want to learn more, you can go to thefifthedition.com. You can find out more information about what we're doing. You can find out, uh, you can get in touch with us there, ask questions and listen to the other shows that we're doing. Perfect. Thank you, everyone.